If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn them now to Paul's second letter to Timothy. We are still in chapter 1, still in the section where he is exhorting Timothy, and this evening we'll be looking just at verse 13. And to get the context, I'm going to start reading in verse 8. So 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 8 through 13. Let me read these verses for us, brothers and sisters, reminding you as ever that this is the word of the Lord. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began and which has now been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Beloved of God, the testimonies of the Lord are wonderful, so let's ask him tonight for the grace to rightly know them and keep them. Let's pray. Our gracious and glorious God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we acknowledge together that the unfolding of your words gives light and imparts understanding to the simple. And we know that we come before you this evening as those who are in desperate need of such illumination. We confess the continued darkness of our own hearts, and we repent of the sin that so easily clings to us because it springs forth from us. Turn our hearts towards you, O Lord, for we long for your commandments, and we desire to commune with you more deeply. So turn to us and be gracious, we pray, not for our sake, but for the sake of your own Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Make your face to shine upon us in him as your servants, and teach us now from your word, we pray. And we ask this all in your name. And for your sake, even the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, I know we've been taking our time through this exhortation that Paul gives to Timothy. And I'm not, I'm not making a huge effort of that in some sense, but I feel like the text continues to dictate that we take our time working through this exhortation. And, and part of the reason for that is because, remember the context, We're going to remind you of the context again and again and again. Paul was writing to Timothy knowing as he's imprisoned in Rome under Nero that his life is coming to an end. His ministry is coming to an end. And so he's he's knowing that, that Timothy in many ways is going to take over for him. 
And so he's calling Timothy, exhorting Timothy to be faithful. And what we can see in this exhortation at every turn is Paul reminding Timothy, the only way that you're going to be able to do this, Timothy, is by the grace of God, is as God upholds you, is as God keeps you, as God strengthens you, because God's the one who called you to this in the first place. And so we can go back to a place like verse 7 and see that he exhorts Timothy that, that he is to, uh, verse 8 as well, not be ashamed about the testimony of the Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. Why? Because God has given us a spirit not of fear, verse 7, but of power and love and self-control. Because he's given us this Holy Spirit that brings power and love and self-control. Don't be afraid. Don't be ashamed. But instead, be ready to suffer. And how is he to suffer? Verse 8, by the power of God. And so he's showing him, even as he's exhorting him so strongly, so clearly, he's saying you can only do this by the power of the one, verse 9, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he has given to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that's why I've been appointed to this by God. God's the one who called me to this. He's the one who called you to this as well. And we can know that he will keep us. Why? Because, verse 12, I'm convinced, Paul says, that he's able to guard until that day. This is really how it should read in the English. Because of what I've entrusted to him. Paul says, I've entrusted myself, body and soul, to God. And so he will keep me. And so here we have the exact same thing in verse 13 again. We have the clear exhortation and the clear reminder, the only way you can do this, Timothy, is by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ keeping you and upholding you. And so that, those are the two parts we're going to look at tonight. As we look at this exhortation in verse 13, I want us to, to break it up into two parts. First of all, you'll see in the first half of verse 13 that he tells Timothy to follow the pattern. It's the first point. Follow the pattern. Follow this pattern of sound words, Timothy, that, that you've heard from me. The way that you've seen me conduct my ministry, that's to be a rubric for you in your ministry. Don't go outside of that sketch or that pattern that I've set for you. That's a high bar. And so how is Timothy to do that? Well, that's the second point. In the second half of verse 13, he tells Timothy how to follow the pattern. How to hold fast to the gospel and the ministerial pattern that Paul has set for him. And what Paul makes abundantly clear, and we'll see this, is that it's only because of the faithfulness and love of Christ keeping him. And brothers and sisters, we need to hear that as well. Because we're called to follow the pattern of sound words that we have received in the sacred text, uh, text of Scripture. And the only way that we're going to be able to do that is by the empowering grace of God. And so may he impress that upon our hearts and our minds this evening as we look at verse 13. So let's look first then at how we are exhorted and commanded here to follow the pattern. Look at the first half of verse 13 with me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me. So Paul is saying you are to follow this pattern. That you've seen in my life, Timothy. That you've heard from me. 
We are a people of the word as Christians because God has spoken to us. And Paul is saying, I've received this this, uh, pattern from Christ and you've seen it in my life. And now, Timothy, you're to walk in the same way. And this language is fascinating in the Greek because this language of of pattern carries two kind of of word pictures for us. So let these serve as illustrations for us. Um, The first word picture is the blueprints or the sketch that an architect has when he's building a building. You know that you have to have blueprints, especially in a state like California, in order to get all the permits that you need to be able to build. And so Paul is saying, listen, I've received this from Christ, this sketch, this blueprint, as it were, for what your ministry is to look like, Timothy. And so follow that. Resort to it. Look to it again and again as you're doing, caring about your ministry. So that's the first word picture. The the second word picture, which is much like it, is that this word in the Greek would also be used uh, almost like an artist when when they would make a sketch you know, they'd take a pencil or charcoal or whatever it was they used back then. And rather than jumping right to the painting, they would give themselves a bit of an outline. So that they knew that, okay, here's what it's going to generally look like. And here are my proportions. And I'll do that color and this color. And then they can fill in the blank spaces. And so that's kind of what Paul is telling Timothy here. He's saying, follow that sketch. He's not saying, you've got to only say words that you've heard me say, Timothy. No, you've got to explain the scriptures and expound upon the gospel so other people, your audience, can understand it. But don't go outside of the lines, right? One of the most important skills that kids can learn. My, my three-year-old's still learning it. But color within the lines, that's essentially what he's telling Timothy here. And he's saying, don't look for a model somewhere else, Timothy. I've given that model to you. And where have I received this model? I've received it from Christ. And now I've entrusted it to you. And so that's why Paul calls this pattern the sound words that you heard from me. Because he heard them from Paul. And that, that, that word sound there, you can see that a better translation in, in the ESV translation is actually healthy. You see that footnote there? These are healthy words. They're healthy words because they're life-giving. And why are they life-giving? They're life-giving because of what they concern. And what do they concern? They concern the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the pattern, Timothy, that you've heard from me, that you've seen in my ministry. It's the good news that's necessitated by the bad news. And what's the bad news? The bad news is that we were all once created by God for life. But through Adam our representative head and his disobedience of God, we've been plunged into death, right? Eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and you will surely die. The wages of sin is death. And so that's what we as human beings now deserve in Adam and through our own rebellion against the Lord. And yet, even back then, on that day when the Lord pronounced a curse upon his people and his creation, he promised, a seed of the woman is coming who will crush the head of the serpent. And that promise that was reiterated again and again throughout the Old Testament has now been kept in the coming of the Son of God in the flesh, the Lord Jesus Christ, who came and, and lived life the way it was meant to be, perfectly in submission to God. And why did he do that? In your place and in mine. 
so that his perfect life is counted as ours before the judgment seat of God. And then on the cross, he pays the wages of sin that we owe to God. He experiences the hell we deserve on the cross so that we're forgiven. We, we don't have to pay that penalty. It's been paid in full for us. And then he rose from the dead, ascended to the Father's right hand, sent the Spirit to apply all that he accomplished to us, and we're waiting for that day when he will come back and make all things new. Because then we will experience the fullness of the eternal life that is ours in Christ because the kingdom will fully and finally come. Paul's saying, Timothy, that's the message. This is life-giving because it's the good news. And it's also life-giving. Why? Because who speaks through this word so that his sheep whom he laid his life down for hear his voice whenever it's proclaimed or prayed or sung? The people, the sheep of his pasture, hear the voice of the good shepherd in the word. And they're brought from spiritual death to spiritual life. And so Paul says, don't, don't look for another pattern. Don't look for another model because these words are life-giving. Don't lose grasp of the gospel. Don't lose sight of it. And be warned that, that any other model that, that you might see, that the false teachers might try to offer to you, those don't bring life. Those bring certain death. It's a matter of life and death holding fast to the gospel. And so that's exactly why not only does Timothy need to hear this exhortation, brothers and sisters, but we do as well, don't we? We desperately need to hear this exhortation because it's so easy for us to lose sight of the gospel. You want to know one of the most dangerous ways that this happens? It's so subtle. It's so subtle. And if memory serves, I believe it was uh, Don Carson that talked about this, the first time I ever heard it anyways. Maybe you heard it from some, some other source. But he says what, what happens is the gospel ends up getting assumed. And it all just falls apart from there. So that he says, in general, the, the gospel gets lost in about four generations. The first generation um, accepts the gospel. The second generation will then be tempted to and often will assume the gospel. Then the third generation, because it's just assumed and, and they're not really hearing clear teaching on it, they get confused about the gospel, and then the fourth generation just completely loses the gospel. And I think generally that's right. Generally that's true. And so what are we to do? We're, we're to stem the tide at the very beginning, brothers and sisters. We, we are to, to not assume the gospel. We're not to, to let it be placed on the back burner. It's not a side dish. It's not an afterthought. It is the main course. It is Christ himself. And so we're not to lose sight of that. We're, we're to constantly be putting Christ and the gospel center stage, not backstage. His person and work must always be our focus. Now, along those lines, I want to I make application of this first point in two ways. And I'm not going to spend time like I want to on how obviously gospel ministers need to follow the pattern of the gospel that we've received from Christ and from the apostles, because I, I tend to do that every sermon that we're in the pastoral epistles. So let me apply it to the church in general. Sovereign Grace, we are under the authority of these sound words. We are. 
concerning our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And we're under the authority of those words because as Paul says in Romans 6 verse 17, we are those who were once slaves of sin, but who have now become obedient from the heart because of the work of the Holy Spirit to the standard of teaching to which we were committed. We've been committed by God to this standard of teaching. Because we're those who are in Christ, who are no longer under the wrath of God, who are no longer slaves to our passions and the flesh and the world and the devil. We no longer belong to them, but to who? To our great and glorious God because of what Christ has done. And so since that's true, we are to continue in the way of the gospel all of our days not coloring outside of the lines, not turning from it to the right or to the left. And the primary way that we do that is what? By doing what you're doing right now. By regularly hearing this pattern of sound words, regularly hearing the gospel as we hear it preached and prayed and sung in corporate worship and in family worship and in private worship. And secondly, along those lines, I want to apply this a bit more specifically to family worship. For those of us that have children and are striving to obediently raise our children as we're commanded to do in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Because we have, by God's grace, the the great privilege of doing what? Of leading our children in impressing upon them again and again this pattern of sound words, don't we? As we, we... Teach the gospel to them as they hear it in family worship and as we have conversations with them. And I don't know about you, but I experience that as a, as a huge, huge joy and blessing with my family. Now, I don't want anybody to misunderstand. We can't save our children, can we? we? We are not the Holy Spirit. We cannot change hearts. We cannot bring life where there is death. But we can and we ought to lead them in the path that they should walk in. And and part of the reason I have to bring this up in the context of of Paul's letter to Timothy is because Timothy experienced this privilege, didn't he? We know from earlier in uh, chapter 1 in 2 Timothy, and we know from later on in chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, that Timothy's mother and grandmother were believers who taught him the scriptures. They they walked him, led him down the path of of the gospel, of these sound words. They led him in this pattern. And look at how God used this in Timothy's life. He used it greatly. God didn't waste the efforts of his family to raise him in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And brothers and sisters, we're commanded to do the same thing with our children. We are to teach the scriptures diligently to them. And talk of them when we sit in our homes and when we walk by the way and when we lie down and when we rise up all the time, says Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 7. And Sovereign Grace, I want to commend you for this because I know many of you do this. Many of you do this. As a representation of how I know many of you do this, I was meeting with a family this past week. They're going through a season of trials in their life, uh, various health trials various uh, relational strife, and they're just feeling worn down. And they're looking at themselves, being tired, feeling beat up, and they wanted to meet with me, and they, they wanted to ask, what more can we do? And I said, well, I'll be honest, I don't know everything that you're doing, so tell me what you're doing as a family. 
And they told me about how they're, they regularly, I know this part, they regularly attend corporate worship, right? I'm there as well, so I see them. But they're daily together singing hymns and psalms and spiritual songs and memorizing the catechism together, listening to the word as they're driving from place to place. Maybe we don't walk as much, we drive, but they're listening to that. They're participating in, in family worship. They're doing all of these things together. And I looked at them and I said, you don't need to be doing anything else. Just keep doing what you're doing. Just keep following the pattern of sound words, trusting that as you use the means that God has appointed, that he will change you. He will draw near to you. He will transform you from one degree of glory to the next. Now, don't trust in those things as an end in themselves, but trust that he will work through them, as silly as they may seem to the world, so that he gets the glory. And see, I know that family represents many of you. So continue in those ways, brothers and sisters, as you raise up these dear ones in the fear and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And for those of you who don't, begin it. Begin it today. I mean, it's such a joy to walk in obedience to the Lord so that you can ask them questions like, who made you? God. What else did God make? All things. Why did God make you in all things? For his own glory. Or a question like, what is the chief end of man? The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Or what is your only comfort in life and death that I am not my own but belong body and soul in life and death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ? What a privilege to grow up in such a home. And the benefits that come from that. So you get the idea. These are the ways that we lead our children in the pattern of sound words, the gospel. <laughs> and the beautiful thing is along the way, you end up memorizing those things too, don't you? As you walk your children through them. As a matter of fact, one of the best ways that you can teach someone something else, I'm sorry, learn it yourself, is by teaching it to them. That's what I meant to say. And so this is exactly what Christian parenting is, isn't it? And I hope this goes without saying, but passing the gospel on to the next generation and, and keeping it not only in the forefront of their minds, but our own minds is important not just for our own children, but for the nations and the unbelievers around us, right? That, that they might hear from our lips and from the lips of our children the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ, that those who are in rebellion against him might be brought to submission by Christ as the Spirit uses the word to convert people so that his enemies become his friends. And those who rebelled against him now worship him. This is why this is so important. All right, so now that we've heard Paul's exhortation to Timothy to follow the pattern of the gospel he heard from Paul. Let's look now, secondly, at how to follow the pattern. How is he to do this? By what means is Timothy to do this? By what means did Paul do this? And by what means are we to do this? Well, again, look at verse 13 with me again, with a special emphasis on the second half. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. So how is Timothy to do this? How are we to do this, brothers and sisters? In the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. All right, but that raises a really interesting question. Because what does that mean? 
And I'll, I'll tell you, there, there's two main options here historically in interpreting this verse. On the one hand, you're, you're wondering, is, is Paul talking about Timothy's faith? Is he talking about Timothy's faith that he places in Christ and Timothy's love for Christ? Or is Paul talking about Christ's faithfulness and Christ's love as shown toward his people? Those are the two options. In other words, is Paul saying that Timothy is to hold fast to the content of the gospel in his faith and love for Christ? Or is Paul saying Timothy is to hold fast to the content of the gospel by the means of Christ's love? and faithfulness. Make sense, the two options? Now, I hope all of us would agree that both need to be true of Timothy, right? (laughs) It's not enough for Christ to just love him and show faithfulness to him. Obviously, if he loves him and shows faithfulness to him, then Timothy will exercise love and faith, but Timothy must then also exercise love and faith. So I hope we would all agree that that both of these need to be true of Timothy. The question is, which is Paul speaking of here in this verse? And I'm convinced, along with John Calvin and his commentary on 2 Timothy, that Paul is talking here not about the Christian's love, but actually about Christ's love and faithfulness to us. In other words, Paul is actually telling us briefly that the content of the pattern of sound words is what? It's the gospel. It's Christ's love and faithfulness to his people that the Father has given to him. And so what that tells us is that how Timothy is to persevere in following the pattern of sound words, how he's to hold fast to them, is by means of the love and faithfulness of Christ himself. That's what Paul's saying. He's saying, Timothy, you can only do this because of the love and faithfulness of Christ for you. Timothy, that's the only reason I have been able to endure. It's ultimately because of Christ's love and faithfulness upholding me. Now again, Timothy does have faith in love for Christ. He does. But even that was first given to him by Christ because of Christ's love and faithfulness. So how is Timothy to faithfully follow the pattern of the gospel that he heard from Paul in reliance upon the Lord Jesus Christ? As Timothy is sustained by Christ's faithfulness and love. That's how he'll persevere. That's how he'll follow the pattern without deviating from it. And if he does deviate from it, he'll repent and get right back on track. And brothers and sisters, we need to hear this because that's exactly how we will endure as well in holding fast to the gospel as his church, and in regularly, faithfully instructing our children in this pattern of sound words, the only way that we'll do that is because of Christ's love and faithfulness to us. He's the one who causes us to endure. Because you see, we can all admit this, can't we? We wouldn't survive one minute if that weren't the case. We'd just fall away immediately and never return. And so we're completely dependent upon him for this. So Christian, one of the implications is you need to stop looking to yourself. You need to stop looking for your, to yourself for the strength to obey. I mean, aren't you weary of looking at yourself just focused on self, focused on your weakness, trying to drum up the self-will to be able to do this? It's never going to work. It won't. Instead, what are you to do? You're to look to your faithful and loving Savior and hear him saying, come to me, 
all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's what he cries out to you. So look to him and rest in his faithfulness and in his love and find all the strength and energy that you need to obey in him. Because at the end of the day, Christ is the one whom we follow as he's revealed in the scriptures to us. And how we follow him is by trusting in his faithfulness and his love to uphold us until the very end because he will surely do it. Let me pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, these exhortations that you have given to your church through the pen of the Apostle Paul are strong exhortations. And we know in and of ourselves they're impossible for us to achieve. But we are thankful that we've not been left to our own resources. But you are the one who is upholding us, Jesus, faithfully, lovingly, so that we will follow the pattern of sound words. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you for the love that you've shown us, and we pray that we would trust you, and because of our trust in you, that you would use us mightily to do the work that you've left us to do. We pray this all through the mediation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who loves us and faithfully serves us even now at your right hand and for his sake. Amen.